And welcome back to On Point. I'm Arlene Bynan for Alex Pearson. It was a tape released by ISIS and attacks to Canada were part of the tape. And it was a bit chilling when you really think about it because on, on various levels. Number one, we've just gone through a van attack in the city of Toronto, also mass shooting on the Danforth. It is worrisome. And also part in our mind, we thought, hey, uh, is ISIS still that much of a threat globally? All we were hearing that they are shrinking. We're going to talk about the big picture in all this. Joining us is Tom Quiggan, who's a former military intelligence officer, a former a contractor for the Royal Canadian Mounted Police and an expert on jihadist terrorism and work for both the federal and criminal courts of Canada. Tom Quiggan, welcome. Thank you for being here. Uh, good evening, Arlene. Thanks for inviting me to Global News Radio. Uh, Tom, let me ask you, what were you thinking when that story broke? And we have a, a tape we haven't heard from them in a while, and Canada is mentioned. Well, yeah, I think the, the first thing that jumps to mind is that ISIS as a geopolitical entity has been defeated, but the ideology behind it has not. Mm-hmm. That ideology continues to grow, it continues to spread, it continues to spread online, and it continues to spread through word of mouth, through books, and that sort of thing. And it's worth remembering, a lot of folks sort of thought ISIS was an aberration. It was kind of a one-off thing that popped up and what a shock it was. And now that it's gone, wow, that's good. But it's worth remembering the ideology and goals of ISIS are common to most of the other organizations that are out there that self-identify as Islamist groups. Uh, They all want the same sort of thing. They want an Islamist caliphate. They want some form of Sharia law. And they want the domination of Islam over all other religions, faiths, and political systems. So... Other groups that have the same group, of course, are folks like Al-Qaeda. Mm-hmm. Then there's the Muslim Brotherhood, the Khomeinists, Jam Islamiya, the Abu Sayyaf group, Boko Haram, Al-Nusra, Hizbut Tahrir, Hamas, Hezbollah. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. And that ideology has not been defeated in any meaningful way. And in fact, it's continuing to grow. So, you know, the fact that ISIS itself as a, as a geopolitical entity is gone, I guess, is sort of good news. But what it's actually done is it's driven the ideology out into the hinterlands instead, and it's it's continuing to spread. So the reality is we're going to be dealing with this ideology and its accompanying violence for a long time yet. It has, you know, as you say, geopolitically, we have watched that war being waged. And even as the bombs dropped and they retreated, we knew that the that the what they thought and this kind of preaching was still available. But on the other hand, they have been silent. It was certainly after 9-11, all consuming. Tom, how much of a problem? You know, we've watched it rescind from the battlefield and in the areas that they control. Is it still really, as you say, growing on the Internet in, in extremist areas? In terms of just its sheer volume or the number of followers, it's fair to say the ideology continues to grow at a fairly rapid pace. Um, In terms of its application of violence, it is morphing and going through a series of changes. And I think Mm -hmm. one of the first ones is to say is, look, police and intelligence agencies uh, are getting better at counting terrorism plots by groups. 
they've learned, they've adapted, they've got new methodologies, new technologies. So the kind of terrorist groups that, that were able to launch large-scale attacks in the past are finding themselves under increasing stress. So that's kind of the good news. Uh, the bad news is that terrorists can learn as well. They're not very good at learning, and they're sometimes quite slow at it, but nonetheless, they learn. So what we're seeing is an, a, a slow evolution towards sole actor plots. And of course, the attack on Parliament Hill in Canada here is probably one good example. The attack in Edmonton, Alberta is another good example. And then we've seen a multiplicity of these attacks in France, Belgium, Germany, the United Kingdom, etc., etc. And these kind of sole attacks by a single individual are incredibly difficult to predict and they're incredibly difficult to track, uh, especially if the individual is smart enough not to communicate with other folks. Uh, so these kinds of attacks that we've seen, the Parliament Hill attack, the Toronto attack on the Danforth, that kind of thing is going to be the wave for a while yet. And there's uh, not the chatter other- connected with it. You know, when it, we were first uh, focused on this, there was all following chatter. And also, I, I want you to tie this into a, a story that's come out, which says what you're saying, but even more specifically, Online-inspired people are now this country's top threat, according to a a CSIS document. Yeah, the idea of spreading ideology online, of course, is relatively new because the Internet's relatively Mm -hmm. new. But this is, if you're an outfit like ISIS and you've lost your physical base, you've lost your geopolitical entity, then obviously you have to move away from that. And the Internet, of course, provides a wonderful place for this kind of thing to occur. Having said that... Um, the reality is it also continues to spread like on the ground. Uh, so, for instance, in Dundas Square, there's still folks handing out books. Uh, when you actually read the commentary in the books and you read what's in those books, they're actually talking about all sorts of sane stuff like killing the infidels, mm-hmm. uh, carrying out these kinds of attacks, etc. They don't put the ISIS flag on the cover of the book, but nonetheless, the ideology is being spread. So it goes everywhere from student associations, universities, community groups, uh, right into the public town square, shall we say, like Dundas Square is an example, and right into the sort of chat room, social media, etc. So it's spreading through a multiplicity of channels. And ironically, here in Canada, rather than identifying the ideology and challenging it and saying, you know, we need to meet these folks head on, and start coming after them. Uh, instead, what we're getting, you know, is this M103 Islamophobia mm-hmm. motion, which almost forbids discussion about anything to do with extremist Islam. And uh, the Muslim groups I work with are incredibly frustrated by this because they mm-hmm. say, you know, for a lot of them, they left Pakistan or they left India or they left Syria to get away from these fools, to get away from this ideology. And now they see it right here in Canada. And I mean, I've had, I've had a variety of uh, Muslims look at me and say, what's wrong with you Christian people anyway? Don't you recognize a threat? And I've also got the only half-joking question where they say, what's wrong with you white people? Why can't you recognize a threat in your own backyard? And you sort of laugh on the one hand, but on the other hand, it's, it's, it's quite devastating to realize that our own government is trying to silence the discussion causing this kind of discussion causing this kind of violence and when that and facing the problem yeah, and tom you know when the m103 islamophobia it was a major discussion a lot of the things that you're talking about were out there certainly in the political arena and with the opposition parties how can they attack it. What are they doing? You know, you've got that idea, as you just said, that maybe the conversation shut down 
But what could they actually do policy-wise in your suggestion to combat this? Cut the funding. If I had, like, you know, if you've yeah. got one idea, mm-hmm. one policy you could f- forward to government to say, you know, if you really want to go after this problem, cut the money to a number of these groups and then deplatform them. So in other words, mm-hmm. groups in Canada, which let's say have been caught funding terrorism, by caught funding terrorism, I mean CRA has revoked their charitable status. Why are they allowed to testify in Parliament? Why should they be allowed to have a platform like that? Uh, people who are on the boards of directors of these organizations, if they've been you know, involved in funding terrorist groups using taxpayers' money, why should they get more money for their next organization? So I would say, you know, if there was one thing you could do really fast, cut the money and then deplatform those groups. And that would be a, a serious step in the right direction. The other thing we need is an actual kind of like adult grown up discussion, which we're not very good at doing these days, especially with sort of a polarized media. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people say, well, you know, Muslims are terrorists and Islam is bad. And it's like, no, the problem here is not Muslims. The problem is not Islam. The problem is very much the Islamists, i.e. those people who want to use Islam as a political force rather than a religion. And it's very clear there's, they self-identify, you can name them, it's not hard, starting with the Muslim Brotherhood and the Khomeiniists on over to his book, Tahrir. And, you know, those are the groups we need to say, we don't want these folks here, we're not going to fund them, we're going to deplatform them, we're not going to allow them to get a foothold here in Canada like they've done in France Sweden, the United Kingdom, Italy, Germany, Belgium, the Netherlands. And unfortunately, I mean, that's where we're at. They've got the foothold here. Now they're spreading the ideology. And And did you say the polarization also puts a blanket on this conversation? Yeah, it gets now in Canada that, you know, as soon as you raise any kind of discussion on anything that's overly sensitive uh, or even just like slightly Mm -hmm. sensitive, you know, the only words you hear are alt-right and racist and you're Nazi and this and that, whatever. And it's like, <laughs> how can be how can defending free speech be, you know, Nazism? How can saying, you know, wife beating shouldn't be allowed in Canada, how does that make you alt-right? Um, so unfortunately, because the the language of the media and the polarized media, it's not just the media, I mean, it's the entire society around it that's gone this way. The language we're using is so divisive and so volatile it's almost impossible to have a, a logical discussion on these issues. Uh, and I mean, we you know, hear people on the radio today just talking about, you know, Maxime Bernier and his changes, whatever, you know, people are, oh, he's alt-right, he's racist, whatever. It's like, well, you know, let's lose those terms. But there's a way to talk about it, but, they, but, they, but, they, but the lesson in this is there is a way to talk about it. And we had this discussion with other conservatives, and it, it, there, there is a line and a way to do it. Yes, there is. And this is when I refer, you know, we need to have an adult discussion in yeah, the country. And that's this true. And not just this, so many other things. Tom Quiggin, yeah. it was great to have you as we get behind this story and take a look at just a snapshot of where we are in Canada. Really appreciate your input. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks, Arlene. Tom Quiggin, former military intelligence officer, and he also was with the RCMP and a court expert on jihadist terrorism in the federal and criminal courts of Canada, weighing in on the story um, about ISIS, Canada, and also there, how many times have we heard it? We need to be able to have a lot of conversations in this country. This is Global News Radio.